I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi everyone and welcome to the House of Pot. I'm Kave and I'm Lizzie. And if this is your first time listening, we're a medical sort of podcast where we try to discuss medicine and health in a relatable way. And we will answer questions you may not feel comfortable asking your doctor and definitely won't bring up to your friends. On today's show, we have Stephen Burroughs. His new HBO documentary, Bleed Out, is an investigation into the American healthcare system, malpractice, hospital politics, and insurance coverage, or the lack thereof. Stay tuned. The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. And welcome back to the House of Pod. I'm Kave. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Joe. Hey, guys. How hey. are we? Hey. 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 Hey, yourself. Hey, Joe. What's happened, it's buddy? good to be here. Yeah, we I missed you missed last time. Missed the last episode or two, uh, at least being present. So it's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to see your face right across from me. I do want to know about, um, actually, I'm not sure if you're prepared to talk about it, your, your doctor experience, where you had like sort of a... Uh, I guess we're cutting that yeah. <laughs> doctor experience. Well, you know, yeah. explain. Yeah. What do you mean? You told me. You explain. Um, <laughs> Which one? <laughs> well, you you and I were just um, talking about it a week or two ago. You mean about my, my acid reflux, or it's okay. not your medical problems, which we can go into in your reflux and your herpes if you want. But 
Just, For the record, I do not have herpes, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, of the mouth, of the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was just like of your, the nipples. These herpes of the nipples. Yes, I, I did have a patient who had like sort of a perineal, which is sort of like around the, you know, vagina anus area of the herpes of that area, and I was like, oh, mm. that's interesting. I should tell Joe. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Joe does not have herpes for the listener. Sorry. No. Um, no, but your personal interaction, not your medical experience as a, like with disease, just um, you were telling me how you had this conversation with your doctor and it didn't go sort of exactly as you had expected and you were frustrated. God, I That's don't okay. remember this. Yeah, I mean, it's your... <laughs> sure you're talking to me? Your, no, no. It's, I think we're keeping this. I think it's, uh, it's your body, dude. Oh, yeah, this stays in. Um, I, I have something. Yeah. So, uh, recently I was, wait, um, wait, do you remember before you start? <laughs> do, yeah, actually I have something and I remember. Um, so I was recently asked to go talk to some kids in high school to a pre-medical like club, pre-medicine club, um, about being a doctor, about like my job, etc. Um, it's up in the school was up in Marin County and for those of you guys who aren't in the Bay Area, Marin County is a very affluent, very nice area just north of San Francisco. It's beautiful. The school was amazing. It looked like something out of a movie. It was nicer than most college campuses. And so I'm walking, actually this is not the actual story, but as I'm walking to give this talk, like I'm walking through like the school with all like the students milling about and I overhear like these two students talking about how their friend drove like a Jaguar to school that day. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And, and granted, I think even for them, that was a bit much, but I'm like the concept that that's even a possibility that someone drove a Jaguar to school is so beyond me. Like when, when I, Joe, do you remember when I got my car in high school, it was your bottom of the line Honda Civic two door, but I got so much shit from my friends because it was new and I didn't get a used car and I had to be like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. What to, I don't know. My parents got me a car. I'm so sorry. I took so much crap. Like the I think cost, I was one of those people giving you crap. Of course you were. But like those people, like they drive, like the concept of driving a Jaguar to school is crazy. Yeah, anyway, it's crazy. So I had to like give this talk in front of like these, these students and it, I'm pretty sure I, inadvertently discouraged all of them from going into medicine. Why? <laughs> well, so first of all, I mean, they, they have that like look, that broken look, like that blank high school. I work at Chuck E. Cheese look like they're at their lunchtime. They should be like out having fun and playing. And here's this guy that's talking to them instead when they'd rather be doing like a billion other things. So like I, I, it already started off like on a kind of a bad note. And then they would ask questions about like, how much schooling did you go through? And, you know, I told them I went through a, a lot of like training, a lot of school, then a lot of training. And I just saw their, like, I saw there was crestfallen. Right. I saw in their saw. eyes, their souls breaking, right. their hearts. Right. I heard one of them like break. Yeah. The and, glass like glazed over oh. their eyes and the vacancy is just. That's the problem with that whole thing is if you say it's an eight year, 10 year, 15 year endeavor, it's a huge turnoff. Like I feel like the only way that I got through it and that many is that you just think about it one step at a time. Like you just think about it as, oh, I like science. I want to go to med school. Cool. Then you don't think about the fact that after four years, you're going to have to do some more training or go into, you can go into business. You can go into consulting. You can go into 
pharmacy, you know, or pharmaceutical industry. But that's how I did it because I was never sure exactly what I wanted. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do surgery or medicine. So it was step by step. And then, you know, then there are those kids who know they want to do plastic surgery and they know they're about to embark on a 10 to 15 year endeavor. But yeah, you ruined these kids' lives. I think I did. There was a couple of them that were really eager. Shout out to Madison. Um, Seemed like they're going to be really like into it. And they're like, uh, they know what they're getting into and all that. And I I try not to be too Pollyanna-esque about it, but I was like, you know, it's not all bad. It's really like, there's good, there's good moments, you know, there's like, it's fun. And, 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 but they're like, so you lose your twenties. I'm like, yeah, sometimes your thirties too. You're like, lose is a strong word. I just don't know where they went. I think I'll find them at some point. Right. Maybe when I get my brand new Jaguar, Jaguar, I think I will relive my twenties when I turn 50. And the thing is, is that the interesting thing about Marin, I don't mean to stereotype, but I'm sure half the kids' parents are doctors. I asked them that, and that was about it. That yeah. was about a, like a 50-50 breakdown. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not judging. It's just, this no, is like wealthy suburbia, you yeah. know? It's not like $20 million pads in San Francisco or Manhattan, but this is like upper middle class. This is, this is what, what yeah. happens, you know? So I can't imagine these kids. They just have never asked their parents or care. Right. Like kids don't care about what their parents do or how they got to where they are. They're just... You know, got their Jaguar. 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 Yeah, so if anyone's looking for a motivational speaker out there, I'm your guy. Well, was it fun to talk to them? Um, or it, or, or yeah, did yeah, destroying, crushing their souls not feel as good as you had anticipated? Yeah, surprisingly not as much fun as I expected. No, they were great. I mean, they're totally cool. And uh, they, they are much more organized than I was um, as, a, as a high school student. So, and Joe can attest to that. Yeah. Anyways, coming up next, we have a great interview. We have Stephen Burroughs. He is a uh, comedian, filmmaker, actor, writer, director, and his new documentary on HBO, Bleed Out, uh, sort of chronicles an investigation into the Byzantine network and labyrinthine, like, yeah, those <laughs> I, did, are big words. I did well on the SAT, I like it. system, the healthcare system in America. Stay tuned. Our next guest is an actor, writer, director of comedies like Chump Change, and you've seen him in Spy Hard and other movies. His mother underwent a surgery and a hospitalization in 2009, and it left her in a coma with resulting brain damage. The video chronicling of this, of the next 10 years, became the HBO documentary Bleed Out. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell us like how you started documenting and because you said initially in the movie, it wasn't your purpose was to document it and create this movie. So how did you even start to do that? Well, that's correct. Um, I, I, I have to say that starting this whole thing, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just trying to like uh, get care for my mother. She had, like you said, she had fallen uh, riding her bike and she uh, broke her hip and then she had this uh, hip surgery uh, very standard uh, routine hip surgery, and it never really took for some reason. Um, for about a period of five months, she was hobbling around, and I kept going back. She lives in Milwaukee. I live in California. Every month, I would go back and I'd talk to the doctor, take her in, and say it doesn't. She's she can't even lay down in her bed. You know, this is not really working. And he kept saying, "Well, you know, uh, it's um, it's uh, it's healing. We'll just keep going, keep doing therapy, keep doing uh, aerobics and water therapy." And and she did everything as she was told, and she inevitably fell. Uh, she fell again. And uh, the first thing that happened was she went to the emergency room, 
on this second fall and the uh, ER guy did not see anything wrong and he was going to send her home. And my mom was with a friend. Uh, and this is one of the great lessons I've learned in this whole experience is you really have to have an advocate mm -hmm. no matter what your experience is, whoever you are. Uh, and my mom's best friend said, no, she's on heavy painkillers. She doesn't know what's going on. You cannot release her. She lives alone. And my, uh, my, my mom's best friend forced a, uh, you know, a, an admittance into the hospital. And this is where it starts to get nutty. Uh, my mom and you got, you, you two know probably better than anybody that, you know, people, they want, they, they want these patients in and out and in three days in general, unless there's a, a mitigating circumstances. And my mom was in this hospital for eight days, just laying there on heavy painkillers, Dilaudid, morphine, and I kept calling the doctor every day and the nurses long distance saying, what's going on? What's the plan of care? Well, you know, the surgeon's waiting for the primary. The primary's waiting for the surgeon. And this went on for eight days. So I got on a plane and uh, to find out what is going on because my mom could not even speak. She was in so much pain. She was just laying there. On day so I went in on day eight and I called the doctor who, by the way, our, the surgeon was a family friend of ours. He had done my mom's knees. He had done the first hip. And I called him, I said, I'm here in, you know, in Milwaukee, what's going on? And he's like, oh my God, okay, yeah, okay, let's, let's, let's do it. And he, he decides that he wants to rush her into surgery. And she's still on Plavix. Uh, and you know, tons of people are on Plavix. It's a blood thinner. It's a standard drug for a lot of folks. But I did know that you, know, you kind of want to be off this stuff for elective surgery. Um, even Plavix says five to seven days. So I asked the doctor, I said, well, what about the Plavix? He said, I never had a problem with Plavix. I feel so bad. Your mom's been in here for eight days. Let's just do this thing. And um, as you saw from the film, I have an uncle who's a doctor and an aunt who's a nurse. And they said, Steve, you know, you got to get her off the Plavix. And I said, I told him, you know, I, I said it. And in fact, one of the nurses wrote a note. And yeah. she said, she forced the doctor to write in his own handwriting, I'm aware patient on Plavix may, may, may cause bleeding. He had no concerns about it. So he takes her to this surgery, tells us, says it's going to be about two hours and it goes six. Yeah. And then we find out that she lost over half the blood volume in her body. She lost over 2,500 cc's. And a lot of that happened in the first 45 minutes because they did one cut and they did another cut. And as it turns out, we didn't know this at the time, but there was only a nurse there. There was no doctor there in the ICU that night. That doctor had been replaced by this camera doctor out by the airport in Milwaukee, uh, monitoring patients on cameras that are theoretically, you know, monitoring patients. And we didn't even know anything about this. We, we in fact, uh, this this hospital unit, this EICU, I'm sorry, this ICU. My mom, it was two days before uh, they discovered that she was in a coma. And the person who found her she was in a coma was me. What do I know? I just know she wasn't waking up. The day before, the doctor told me she's just foggy and groggy from anesthesia. She's fine. Hey, I heard you were on Seinfeld, and I heard you made a movie. And there was all this chit-chat. And I said, right. yeah, well, why is my mom not you know, up? She was not no concern, as you saw in the film, no concern at all about yeah. why my mom wasn't waking up. So then... Uh, I get into a fight with this ICU doctor on the second day in the ICU because my red flag went up. I had this internal red flag. I don't know anything about any of this, but yeah. I knew my mother was in trouble. You know your mom. You know what she's like normally, and this is not anywhere close yeah. to it. Correct. She looked dead to me. And I demanded uh, 
that somebody do something and they called in a neurologist and neurologist came in and he said, look, uh, your mom's in a vegetative state. We hope she wakes up. She might not. Wow. And that's, that's really what began this whole thing. And at that point we, uh, I started asking a lot of questions. My aunt and uncle, I had an advantage of having a doctor and a nurse, uh, giving me really smart questions to ask. And, uh, these questions were not being answered properly. So my uncle, to to back to your very first question, how this all started, my uncle had me uh, get the medical records, and he he saw the anesthesia records in particular during surgery and this uh, you know catastrophic massive blood loss yeah. in surgery. But my mom's blood pressures were perfect for six hours. They were handwritten anesthesia notes, one twenty over eighty, perfect six hour, no blood, no drops at all. Uh, and I also learned, you know, uh, the um, the heart rate and the pulse rate and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, there were no fluctuations at all with any of that stuff. Hmm. So my uncle, within, within 10 seconds of looking at this handwritten anesthesia note, told me this thing is, he, he said it, he thought it was falsified. And um, we, we later found out that the reason she wasn't waking up and that she was in a coma was, it was massive loss of blood due to loss of oxygen due to the brain, due to, um, they call it, uh, you'll know this, hypoxic encephalopathy. Mm-hmm. So she didn't stroke. There was no stroke. It was m- massive loss of oxygen to the brain, yeah. especially in the front, and that's why she lost all of her, you know all use of her legs and that kind of stuff too. So it was my uncle who said, you know, you got to get the medical records before they change them again. You got to get an attorney, and uh, you got to become a power of attorney, and that that's what set me off. So it's interesting. You you talk about advocacy, advocacy, uh, and we agree that is super important, even for doctors and. For us, when we go in and we have family members, we have to advocate for them sometimes. So totally think that's an important concept. What's really interesting in this story is, well, there's lots of really interesting parts of the story, but one of them is that your uncle is a doctor. And at first, he's pushing you to do this. He's pushing to for you to be the advocate and to, to take sort of legal measures. But then at some point, that he, his attitude on it seems to shift and he seems to want to not be involved. I, that's the that's something I still don't entirely understand. What happened at that point that he stopped having an interest in you pushing the case or being involved? Yeah, I was wondering that too. Is it because he's a doctor and his friends like peer pressured or bullied him? Like you're a doctor, you can't go after doctors. Well, you know, I, I'm in a unique situation with you. With with sitting with talking to two doctors right now, I've never actually had the chance to ask you guys. I will answer that question. However, this is one of the biggest questions that everybody has after they see this film. But I've never had a chance to talk to two doctors. Everything in the film is, of course, true. It's been everything's vetted. Everything was, you know, all under oath testimony. Everything. But do you have? Do you, based on what you saw, do you have? A, what's your best guess on what you think happened there with my uncle? Yes. Because my uncle was, he was all in, in the beginning. Yeah. And then he was on driving. The he was sort of pushing you to do this. Oh no, yeah. he was. He, he was the ca- he was the captain of the ship. Yeah. Right? There's two things I think that maybe. I don't think that um, Aurora Health Institute hired people to bully him. I, I don't know. That's like a that would be a fun fiction movie, right? With like the Untouchables, like with you know with the mafia. Um, but I do think that maybe his colleagues or his peers were like, "You, this makes doctors look bad, and you're a doctor, and you need to." It's like a fraternity. You need to be with us or against us, or you know this. I, I guess I'm judging you, but this consumed your life and maybe he thought it was in your interest to, to knock it off, you know, because this was really all consuming and he, maybe he saw that it wasn't necessarily 
helping your mother and it was maybe hurting you and your, your personal life. I, I don't know. I think that is probably, that's probably my guess too. I, I don't think that there's any peer pressure to not, to not push this. I think amongst doctors, if we, we all saw what was presented in the film, I think if we heard that same story, we would all be like, oh my God, that's awful. I think that's pretty universal. But I, I, it, my only guess was that he was like, he sensed that the case wasn't going to be won for whatever reason. And he didn't want to, it was causing him emotional stress to be a part of that. And he didn't want you to go through the emotional stress. That's my only guess as to why. This is just my opinion. I personally think that he, so much time had passed because it was a long thing. He saw that my mom was not getting better. He saw that you know, it's going to cost a lot of money. It's yeah. a lot of time. It's certainly taken over your life, my life. Yeah. Um, and by the way, his wife, aunt, my aunt, she's, she stayed in the case the whole way. Um, Ted just got cold feet. Yeah. Hey, Steven, this is amazing to hear. And, and I just can't believe that you guys lost the case. Um, I'm ah. here. I'm hearing the story. We're not lawyers, obviously, but just Join the club, <laughs> just, the, just the, yeah, right. And just the fact that they, you know, they did the surgery with this Plavix medication, which was wrong. But even beyond that, like, how did the doctors not know she was in a coma? Why did you have to discover that? You know, why wasn't she really being watched? These things, this is to me as a patient is way beyond negligent. This is like so black and white, like. I, I, I just so surprised. Why do you think the case went the way it did? <laughs> that's a. Or are you able to answer that's that? That's like a super tough question, yeah. Joe. I think that's sort of the thing of the the basic premise of the movie right. is why are things this fucked up? Well, this uh, is right. I mean, right. I'll I'll just um I won't answer for you obviously because I don't know, but um, but this is what we talk about in medicine a lot. Something called continuity of care. And what we see in the movie about like accountability and responsibility. And at the end, you talk to the Mayo Clinic and try to sort of hear the gold standard of what medicine should be. Everyone has heard of or I've heard of the Mayo Clinic. That's always the part, you know, a patient comes out of the OR. And by the way, even before that, there should have been a conversation with the primary care doctor and the surgeon about Plavix. Is it safe to stop? Is it not safe? They go to the ICU. There's nurses and doctors and ICU doctors and, you know, and the surgeons there needs to be uh, like a, we call it an interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary approach to a patient, right? And, oh, I knew her yesterday and she was awake and talking and vibrant and today she's not. Let's discuss why there's a change. And it seemed like there are so many steps in your mother's story where that, that didn't happen, right? I, uh, I mean, you nailed it. I think that uh, in one of the most frustrating things, and, and to get to Joe's point as well, is you know, there's enough. There's a lot of blame to go around. Uh, you know, the, the pre-surgery, surgery, the transfer, ICU, EICU. But the one thing that I've seen now through the, especially every, going through the entire legal case as well, is that continuity of care did not exist. Uh, the bottom line in my mom's case was I kept asking the same question over the years and even at trial is like, who is in charge of my mom's right. care? Right. Who's quarterbacking this thing? Right. Who, who's the captain of the ship? Who is the person who is ultimately responsible and accountable for my mother? And as we show in the film, uh, I was fortunate enough to videotape the under oath depositions. And there was no, you know, we had five doctors and one nurse and there was nobody, none of their lawyers and none of the doctors or nurses ever. There was no question. Everyone agreed that there was massive loss of blood, right, in surgery. 
And uh, everyone agreed they had nothing to do with it. I mean, yeah. there, there was there was an incredible right. I was warned about this from our first attorney when when the going gets tough. Uh, you know, we all know right and wrong. We all know yeah. I mean, we you know, you guys are doctors. Um, you know, doctors are heroes. They're, they are incredible. You guys are saving lives every day. Nurses, doctors, there's incredible medical people out there in the world. The question is, you know, you're, I mean, you're human as well. You're like the rest of us. And when something goes wrong, what do we do? I want to ask you a specific question about that through all this experience. And in the movie, it kind of shows you, it's like you talk to one doctor, he says something about the other doctor. You talk to another doctor, they blame someone else. If at any point, someone had come forward, say the surgeon, say the anesthesiologist and said, we fucked up and yep. we're so sorry. Would that have changed anything? Do you think honestly that you would have said, all right, I, I get it that that happens. What would have been different had that occurred? I, that's a great question. Um, I, first off, I had no idea it was going to go 10 years. I had no idea. My mom was gonna, I had no idea my mom was going to survive, you know, back yeah. in the day. Uh, and I do want to circle back at some point to Joe's thing about not knowing my mom in a coma for two days, because that still sticks with me. Right. I don't have a good answer for that. Right. How do you not notice that a woman's in a coma? You know, Dr. McCary, he's the Johns Hopkins doctor in our film as well, in Mayo Clinic. Their philosophy is pretty simple, accountability, transparency, and apology. And I, I really believe this, because, you know, I, I had better things to do. Yeah. Uh, or, or I thought I had better things to do. I, you know, I, was, I, I had a great career going in comedy. Um, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to make this movie. Uh, I didn't want to have to take care of my mother for 10 years. You know, she's yeah. cognitively and physically disabled, but her life was destroyed. Yeah. And w one of the reasons that I stuck with this is because I, I never got that apology. I never got any transparency or accountability. Yeah. To this day, I still don't really know what happened in that surgery. I still don't really know what happened in that ICU or that EICU. Because they haven't told me. They they fought seven years to not tell me. And I believe um, that if a doctor, let's say Dr. Bauer, right out of the gate, you know, our, my mom's surgeon, our family friend, came out and looked us right in the eye and said, look, I blew it. I should have taken her off the plavix. We should have had more blood. I should have gotten, you know, I should have gone up there to the ICU and talked to the doctor up there, which he did not, right? I should have told him, hey, we just lost half the blood in her, this woman's body. So you should know that you have a critical patient here. Where's the doctor? And the doctor, there wouldn't have been a doctor there. And the nurse would have said, there's no doctor here. We'll get a doctor in here. Yeah. We need a, we need a physical doctor here. And that was still, my mom still had a fighting shot at that point, you know, when she went up to that ICU. And I, I always believe that if they would have come clean, just been straight and honest and accountable and transparent, and, like these aren't bullet points for me. These are yeah. like, if you would have just told me the truth in a search for the truth, if you would have just told me the truth 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. The whole thing started because you wanted the truth, yeah. right? So then you're clearly not at no point in the film. Are we thinking oh, this guy's in it for the money? You're you're looking for an answer. There's this diffusion of responsibility out there. You're trying to figure out what happened. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. By the way, there. by the way, there is no money. Right. There's the, there, a lot of people think like, oh, there's all these frivolous medical malpractice lawsuits. That is not the case. Yeah. Um, you can't even get a lawyer. Lawyers right. will only take the very best medical malpractice cases, and we happen to be one of those cases. And historically, nationally, not just in Wisconsin, they lose 90% of the cases. 
So why are you, if you're a lawyer, for instance, for medical malpractice lawyer, why are you going to take a case, work free for seven years and then, then lose? Right. Yeah. I got a question about that specifically, actually, um, for you doctors, Lizzie and Kave, do you think and Steven and Steven, Steven, yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> um, do you think I'm the furthest thing from a doctor, <laughs> you're the furthest thing from a lawyer. You're a comedy writer. That's true. Hey. That's true. Yeah. Hey. Um, like with the Mayo Clinic being so transparent, which is great. I applaud them. Do you think doctors in general are maybe reluctant to give out that information to be, to fall on the sword, so to speak, because sure. of the, the legal yeah, ramifications doc- of getting in trouble, yeah. getting fired. Sure. There's a lot of I factors mean, that would make a doctor afraid to share uh, a mistake like that. There's the legal aspect. They're afraid they're opening themselves up to a lawsuit if they if they do that. There is a pride aspect. There is an embarrassment aspect. All those things, I'm sure, play into something like that. So, uh, you know, and they, it's it's only human. I mean, if you screw up at work, you know, it's you don't. It's it's hard to. You're different because you're kind of a really open dude and you're like honest and earnest and you will say it. But if someone if there's lives at risk on it too, it, it's another component to that yeah. as well. We were definitely taught, and again, um, we had these actors come in when we were med students, and they would give you these case scenarios. And there was one where there was an error, and the take home point. Like the case went on, the actor went on and on and on and didn't let you free from this mock scenario until you apologized. So like we were absolutely encouraged. And I think there've been studies done that show if there's a medical error, if you apologize, there's fewer lawsuits, there's fewer bad, you know, fights. And again, I can't remember the hard outcomes, but again, you are, you are correct. It's actually cheaper uh, to apologize yeah. because the family you'll take the, you, you'll the, the gasoline that you're pouring on the family's right. fire. Right. right. You don't like it. Right. We right. all, we all know what it's like when someone burns us. And you know, like I had a friend recently who, uh, made a mistake and I was really upset with him and I had worked out this whole speech when I was going to see him, you know, this whole, you know, I was going to get, I, I had it all worked out. You did this and you did this and how dare you did this. And he came up to me and he said, Steve, before you say anything, I am so sorry. Yeah. yeah. And it just, it took the wind right out of me. And of course I had to give him a hug and I love him <laughs> and, 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 and life went on and, yeah. and we, and we learned from it. So I think, I mean, everything you guys just said about, you know, this, this type of, when something goes wrong, what do you do? And the reasons why a doctor may not want you, you, you all those reasons you gave her all very strong reasons and human reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. So, you know, a lot of the bad experience um, and the bad outcome occurred either in the OR, let's say, uh, probably, and then in this electronic ICU, this EICU, right, where there was um, a, a monitor, a computer, a video camera watching her and sending the image and the vital signs to someone several miles away. So we talk a lot on this show, or we have intermittently, about artificial intelligence and how and that's the future of everything, really, right? Including medicine. So do you feel like you've lost complete faith in that concept in this telemedicine or EICU? Or do you, like, are you totally just over it? You don't even want to hear about it. You see no role because you've had such this awful personal experience. Um, or do you feel like there could be a way that that could work in the future? Because, again, I think I think it's here and it's I think it's staying for probably right. forever. Yeah. I, uh, that's, that's a really great question. And I've never even thought of it until you've asked it. I would say, honestly, there's a place for it. 
you know, I can see, I mean, I've had, you know, I, oh, years ago I broke a, uh, on my collarbone and somehow they, I went to this, uh, urgent care and they had a radiologist in India look at it, you know, and he diagnosed it. Right. And I said, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, they, they sent him a picture and this guy's over in new Delhi or something. I thought that's cool. But then with my, my experience with my mom and, you know, her, her not waking up for two days in an intensive care unit, um, someone's going to have to tell me how uh, that technology was good for her. Right. Because I, I didn't see it. And, you know, they, they touted it as cutting edge technology. If he's, you know, the, the slightest changes of any type of vital signs or whatever. Well, in this case, they didn't even notice it until I threw a fit favorable to them. And this nurse gets up and this one, we wanted this woman on our jury. This is, we wanted this person. And she said, well, I believe that technology is just awesome. However, it does not replace the bedside doctor. It does not replace the human touch. You cannot assess and manage a critical care patient by way of a camera. Yeah. yeah. And she was immediately rejected by the defense. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. But I, 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 I hope that kind of answers your question because I think that I think it's a mix. Yeah, exactly. We have to take advan advantage of this great technology, but still, you want hands-on, you know, if there would have been a doctor there in that ICU, uh, I, I think that we might not be here talking about this today. Yeah. yeah. No, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we, uh, we'll have to discuss it with our telemedicine friends. We've had people come on to talk about it. I would love for them to see this movie, too, and, and give us their thoughts. I, I have... Two more questions for you before we let you go. The The first one is how your mom is. I want to know how your mom is doing now. And then the, the next one is um, how do you feel about doctors now? <laughs> do you find yourself, have you lost faith in medicine to be in, in general? Don't, don't uh, pretend we're not here and answer the question. I'm sorry. Pretend uh, Kaveh and I are not here and you're oh, just no, talking to I, Joe. I, I, I am absolutely thrilled, actually, to be talking to two doctors. It's 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 thrilling for me that you guys. It's one of the great surprises of this film because I I, I made this movie as a you know I, some people thought it was going to be like this anti-doctor anti-medicine film. I'm like no, this is a pro-doctor pro-medicine movie. You know, I respect so much what you do. I my opinion on doctors hasn't changed at all. I still trust doctors. I still, and by the way, I still blindly trust doctors. And, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who probably should not. Right, right. But, you know, when I got a kidney stone, I don't go into the emergency room going, hey, I'd like to see your medical diploma, please. Right. You know, I, I say, please stop the pain. Can you help me? Yeah. Um, and now I have a, 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 a more than most, I have a, I have a much fuller uh, appreciation for the situation that you, the doctors, are in. You know, and that I, I, I now understand that you guys work for, a, you know, a, a system of some kind or a group and you guys have insurers uh, and there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of cogs in the wheel and you guys are human. And and I really believe that you are all doing the very best you can because you, you guys went to school and you guys know, you know, I just don't think that I, I no longer uh, believe that doctors are God. Okay. I used to believe that that was you know, that you guys know everything. And, I, and now I realize, I, I, you know, we're entitled to ask questions. And, and in fact, our questions to you folks might actually give us better care because you're going to have to think maybe a little harder uh, and maybe consult a little bit. Yeah. But and weirdly enough, my respect for doctors has increased. 
and my respect continues to grow for, you know, people like yourself who have made your life's mission to help others and to keep us healthy. And uh, the question really is, it always comes down to, to me, what do you do when you make a mistake? What's going to happen? Right. Uh, but I have, I still have, I still have faith in the system, but I think it could be a lot better. And that's, I've already seen, like, you know, just talking to you guys, the fact that you responded to the film and would even want to talk to a guy like me is a big step in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen anything like it. It's, um, it's, it's great. And I, I assume it's definitely, it's gotta be one of a kind, you know, nobody can have documented almost 10 years worth of all those experiences, encounters, good, bad, um, and going through the colossal amount of paperwork. And it really also just speaks to the underlying theme is healthcare reform. I mean, it just seems so complicated and difficult for you. So we really appreciate you sharing your story. Um, yeah. I, I, I would just give you a little, uh, a little bit of good news too. Uh, one of the other great things that's come out of this uh, horrible experience is I got to make this film and thank God for HBO and they got behind it early. Um, but we've heard just that the movie's only two, two months old and we've, my wife and I just in our, our, our house here, you know, um, have heard from thousands and thousands of people, Good. emails, calls, letters, and a very large percentage of those are doctors and nurses and hospitals and one of the biggest surprises here, we've been contacted by dozens and dozens of universities yeah. and medical schools and law schools who want to make this film. Like, this is a shock to me. I, you know, yeah, I, I finished this movie two hours before it, uh, the, its first screening. I was just trying to finish it. Wow. And, and, and now we're getting, you know, um, university and medical schools, they want to use this as part of their curriculum yeah. to, to, as, as a teaching tool to show, all yeah. right, this is kind of how it shouldn't go and how it went for this family. And that's one of the most encouraging things for me is the response uh, from the medical community that they see this as an opportunity. To, this is going to help them give people better care and help them uh, become better doctors and nurses, et cetera. Yeah. And, uh, and just to answer, my mom, my mom is not in good shape. She's still alive. Uh, she's on long-term hospice, uh, very comfortable. She's at a great facility. Um, but she's like unable really to speak and you know, she has to have everything done for her at this point. Um, well, I'm going to see her actually tomorrow. Right? We're going to Milwaukee tomorrow to check in on her. I've been, I haven't seen her in a couple uh, months since Christmas. So, yeah. um, she's, she's still alive, very comfortable, but she's, uh, she's not doing well. Well, it's such a tough story and it, you're right. It is so important for people in the medical profession to watch it. And, and it's tough for us to watch, by the way. It's tough for, I think, anyone to watch to some degree, um, but particularly for doctors. That being said, I think you did an amazing job with the film in that it covers some really heavy topics, but you you do it in a very calm not overly depressing way. And I'm not sure how that must be your comedy background, but it's easier to watch than you would think from the description of it. And it's a great film. We highly recommend it. It's called bleed out. It's on HBO right now. Is there anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's on HBO now or HBO now. It's, and it's actually literally on HBO, a thing called HBO now and HBO go. Right. Uh, two streaming things. It's also available on all of HBO's uh, partner streaming, uh, Amazon Prime, Hulu, 
all it's just it's out there and you know people can you just go to hbo.com and put in bleed out and there we are yeah hey thank you so much for coming on it was really great to talk to you and thank you for sharing your story with us and with the world I really appreciate uh, uh, this time, especially from uh, two doctors like yourself and Joe. And Joe, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for recognizing Joe. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. All antidotes and patient-related details have been changed with respect to date, sex, and certain details so that patient identification is not possible. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.